In a time when film criticism is as provocative as ever, Feelin' Film ventures to change the discussion from what we hate about a film to what we love about it. We judge more on emotional experience than technical merit, because every movie makes us feel something. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Aaron White, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Patrick Hicks. So welcome to Episode 9. If you're just tuning in for the first time, you can find more episodes at feelinfilm.com and all of your major podcasting directories like iTunes, Stitcher, etc. This week, we will be continuing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Madness. That's right. Last week, we gave a second chance to the 2014 TMNT reboot and found it thoroughly enjoyable. We also had the opportunity to be guests on the original remake podcast, comparing the 2014 film to the original from 1990, and that was a ton of fun. So be sure to download and listen to their episode as well. Today, though, we're going to tell you a little bit about what we've been watching recently. Then we'll have a spoiler-filled discussion about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Out of the Shadows, the newest film that released this weekend. And we'll tell you which of these three scenes, uh, which three scenes for each of us were the most impactful, and then we'll wrap things up. So, without further ado, Patrick, do you want to get us started? Yeah, absolutely. So this week, I was, uh, after watching the first TMNT, I was looking at the cast list, and the the main villain was very familiar to me. I mean, he's obviously a famous actor. His name's William Fitchner. But I remember him specifically from something else, and I couldn't couldn't pinpoint it. So I used the trusty imdb.com website to find out where it was I remembered him from, and it was the movie Contact, circa 1997, based on a Carl Sagan book of the same name. It stars Jodie Foster and my man Matthew, all right, all right, all right, McConaughey. And uh, so I went ahead and popped that in. I own the DVD. Uh, For those of you out there who don't know what those are, those are little discs that you put into DVD players, and they put big movies on your screen. You don't have to necessarily do things called streaming. This is like old school for millennials who are listening to us. But anyway, but essentially what this movie is, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of like interstellar light. It's a space science heavy movie. Uh, Jodie Foster plays a woman named Ellie Carraway, I think is her name. And she is a scientist who believes that there's intelligent life out there. And she's not taken seriously until... One day, she and her team are visiting, or not visiting, they are looking at listening for radio waves using the very large array in, is it New Mexico? Do you know for sure? I honestly do not recall. Anyway. I wasn't a fan. (laughs) So anyway, they find this, uh, they find the signal and the whole movie is the progression of understanding what the signal means. They end up building a, a transport and it's a, it's really an exploration of where science meets faith. She plays the scientist and uh, scientist and Matthew McConaughey, he plays the man of faith. And it's a really interesting dialogue between the two of them and just kind of how those themes collide, how those worlds collide and how those things play out. I really, really enjoyed that. Uh, so that was the one, the, uh, one of the movies I watched last week. I also finished up the season two finale of The Flash, which I've got to tell you, 
uh, you know, I preach probably every week about it. It's a great TV series. It's one of my favorites on television, constantly impressing me with the writing, with the dialogue, the character, the ensemble cast is just phenomenal. And they finished up season two and um, it got me wondering where they're going to go with season three. And there are hints of these things of, of pulling from source material and they've been very cool. The, the, the showrunners have been very great about pulling source material to create these storylines, but not necessarily telling the exact stories from the comics. And so I've got a good feeling that season three is going to be inspired by a, a comic event that actually launched the new 52. If you guys are comic fans, you know, the new 52 uh, was an, it was a basically a reboot of the DC universe. And it was sparked by a comic event called flashpoint. So DC animated studios, which is in my opinion, incredible they're the best period i mean they, yeah. they really are it's it's just phenomenal uh they actually adapted that storyline called the flashpoint paradox and so i got a chance to watch that and i just fell in love with it love the event story itself but to see it uh kind of repurposed in the animated small screen world just blew me away did not uh disappoint on any level i love the voice cast I loved the the dialogue. I loved the stakes that were not taken away from. They didn't dumb down any of the, you know, frankly, the violence or the the, the heavy handedness of the, uh, of the of the plot. It was very much pretty accurate to the original uh, to the original storyline, and and I just I was so impressed with it. I've got to back you up on that. Um, Patrick actually recommended this to me this week. He was. He was watching it and just gushing about it, and I'd always meant to give it a shot. A big fan of other DC animated features as well, uh, like we, like we, like he said, we both are. And I've never really cared about the Flash that much, but I figured, what the heck? You know, he's raving about it; it's worth a shot. So I took a watch, and I, I gotta say, everything he says is spot on. That that voice cast, Patrick, is incredible. With you know, we got Nathan Fillion, we got Carrie Ells. Um, we've got not Kevin McBride, Kevin, it's Batman, the, the Kevin, the Kevin, the famous Kevin that voiced Batman. Um, it's just, yeah, it's not Will Arnett. It's not Will Arnett. No, but it's, it is, it is a phenomenal cast, um, of voices, voice actors. And like you said, it's just, it's so, it's so true. The source material and it, it just effortlessly seemed to condense it down into this, you know, hour and 20 minute feature when it was you know tons of comics in in its original state so i actually shared it with another friend after you shared it with me patrick and he really loved it as well so it's uh we're we're sharing it with the world now and hopefully they'll all go watch it and come back and have the same reaction to it yeah it's available on netflix for those of you guys that are big fans of the streaming services and so check it out when you can feel free to give us some feedback let, let us know what you thought i'd love to kind of get involved in that discussion it made me appreciate the flash and I, I've never been a real fan. So for the first time it made me interested in the character. It, it'll do that as well. So for me, I have spent most of the last week going through some SIF movies. Um, for those that don't know, I'm in Seattle and every year I get to partake in the wonderful event called the Seattle international film festival. Some years I have more time than others and I get to go to a lot more films um, but this year, I was able to pick out three in my favorite genres. Uh, so I picked a thriller, 
I picked a, a sci-fi and I picked a Western and I got to go experience those over the course of the last week, week and a half. And altogether, it's been a phenomenal experience. Um, the thriller was called if there's a hell below very small little indie film with only four actors in it. Uh, lots of local talent here in Washington filmed here in Washington. Uh, very, very touching, touching tense, tense drama, um, that was done in a pretty unique way. So that was really good. Uh, another one was called equals, which will be getting a wide release, I believe in theaters. Um, and this one has starred Kristen Stewart and Nicholas Holt, the he's he's actually in X Men Apocalypse. He plays Hank McCoy, and he was um, in Mad Max Fury Road. That was his big big role. So that one was uh, a very it was an Orwellian story of sorts, a dystopian where emotions kind of been outlawed, and it, it didn't really do much to change that storyline. But it it focused in on the emotions of the characters. Uh, lots of close-ups, lots of ambient noise music uh, in order to evoke emotion. So that was a good experience, but not great. The one that was great, however, was the Western. The Western was directed by a man named Ty West. Ironic, right? Ty West made a Western. But this director is actually a horror director. So he's he's more famous for films like VHS, the VHS series of horror films. I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a, a huge... Um, kind of B-movie horror fan, not to degrade his work, but it's not A-list material here. And so I haven't seen any of them. But what he what he made here ended up being this incredible combination of genres. It was an old-school Western mixed with a thriller, mixed with a little bit of a slasher flick at the end, uh, mixed with some comedy, and it just it just blended into this incredible experience. It starred Ethan Hawke and John Travolta and Ethan Hawke is a, a loner out on the plains. Um, he's, you know, wandering this death Valley and comes upon this old town. Uh, John Travolta is the sheriff and it just, it evokes so much emotion in me. Um, there's laugh out loud moments. There's a dog that probably gives one of the best performances by an animal I've ever seen in my life. Patrick's rolling his eyes at me. You can't see him, but it's true. This dog is incredible. Best part of the movie. When you see it, you'll, you'll understand. But anyway, uh, in a Valley of violence, it's, it's a great blend of genres. It's something I highly recommend. I loved it so much that it's currently my number three film of 2016. It's going to get a wide release on September the 16th of this year. So if you can remember that I said this, come September, In a Valley of Violence, go see it, support it. Great film. The other cool thing that happened when I when I was tweeting about this film is that the director started to retweet me. And the next thing you know, I found out I got retweeted by Guillermo del Toro. So that is my new claim to fame, is that Guillermo del Toro and I are now kind of friends in a roundabout way, I would say. Yeah, I'll call you BFFs. Yeah, B- I, I don't. I don't know if everybody else will, but I will. Well, I will support. You. I appreciate that. I, I'll take that. W- one person's good enough for me. <laughs> uh, the the other thing that I've been spending a lot of my free time in, I usually play a lot of video games, but since we started the podcast, I haven't had as much time for that. Recently, uh, I got a new game called Battleborn that I've been excited about for a long time. It's by the publisher who made the Borderlands games, 
Uh, so there's lots of humor and lots of quirky characters. It's basically a first-person shooter, but it has a lot of different unique elements. Again, I'm a blended genre kind of guy, and this game is a blended genre kind of game. Pulls from a lot of different types of games, puts them together, really makes for this fun multiplayer co-op experience. Uh, I've been playing the heck out of that with my kids over the last you know week or so, and we've just really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I play on the PS4, so if anybody wants you know to look me up there, feel free. But anyway, Battleborn, I'm loving that one, uh, and that's my week. Very cool, man. Good week, good week indeed. Well, um, are you ready to dive in? Okay. Let's do it. So, okay, well, before we get in, we want to just kind of give our initial uh, spoiler alert. We're going to dive in, give our reactions. And uh, so anybody that hasn't seen the movie, hopefully you have. You know our, our, our uh, philosophy here. We review we do complete spoilers, so go see it and then come back and join us for the discussion. Um, Can I say one thing real quick, Patrick? Please do. I recently listened to a podcast that had a discussion that I wanted to touch on. And in that discussion, the gist of what they talked about was that there is still value in listening to a discussion about a movie that you haven't seen if you're not particularly interested in it. And their context was much different than what we're talking about here today with Turtles Out of the Shadows. But it kind of can relate because there may be a lot of people out there that haven't seen Turtles 2. Uh, Maybe they weren't very impressed with the first one and they're just not sold on going to see it. And since this is a movie that isn't really an, oh my gosh, that's what happened in the plot and you blew my mind with the story kind of movie... Um, there might still be value in listening to this uh, talk and maybe helping someone discern whether or not they actually want to spend their time seeing the movie. So I just wanted to put that out there. Absolutely, like he said, we're spoiling the heck out of this. But, you know, decide for yourself. (laughs) All right, Aaron, give us your reaction. What was your instant reaction when you left the theater? Uh, When I left the theater, I started proclaiming this as the best Turtles movie I've ever seen. Whoa. Yep. Yep. Whoa. It it was that good. Uh, I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a huge upgrade over the 2014 film, which we both fairly enjoyed. I thought the plot was better. Um, I thought the themes were much stronger and much, much more moving. Um, It felt like the cartoon to me. It, It really just connected on all levels to the characters that I remembered from watching those episodes. And they really they just got the nostalgia right. Tons of Easter eggs, um, just lots of little things that, that made it connect for me. So much fun, so many emotions. I laughed out loud more times than I can count. That doesn't typically happen to me in a film. I grinned the entire movie from the open, before the opening scene. I was grinning. I was grinning when the Paramount logo came up, which we'll talk about, I'm oh. sure. Mm. And a couple times I even had tears well up in my eyes. I'm not going to lie to you. I, everyone, I'm, I'm putting this out there for the world to hear. I cried in a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I don't know if that says more about the movie or about me. Uh, judge me as you must. But uh, this was the best movie of 2016. No, I'm kidding, kidding. I'm, that's, that's too far. I, I didn't come out thinking that. But I, I did really, really love this film. How about you, Patrick? Three words, man. So much fun. Okay. And these are the movies that I want to see with guys like you and your kids, because I had the exact same reaction that you did. 
I I felt like I was a kid again. I was just just welling, you know, just swimming in the nostalgia of everything and the tone of the movie, the characters brought in, the way in which they were brought in was completely like, am I, am, am I back in the eighties? Where are my frosted flakes? I am ready to just completely, ah, I, I wanted to, I just, I wanted to just go back to my childhood after this because this connected me directly. I mean, there are movies that remind me of pieces of my childhood. This became almost flashbulb memory after flashbulb memory after flashbulb memory of moments of remembering how much I loved just soaking up this turtles um, mythology, what history, whatever you want to call it. And uh, we've talked offline about this. I've actually become inspired to add to my office uh, adult collectibles. I want to I want to get the the four turtles. But here's this. Here's the weird thing. I'm having trouble deciding if I want to get the old school turtles from my childhood or get the new ones because I've really, really grown fond of these four new uh, these four new additions or the adaptations or whatever you want to call them. These four new versions of uh, of the four guys. That is really awesome, man. I I'm having similar feelings with the the turtles and they're they're growing on me as well. And I've actually started to want to get some of the figures myself. So I can, I can understand that. So, um, with my reaction comes with it, a few criticisms, although I had a, I had a tough time finding some, I don't know if you did Aaron, but, but I really did. I had had a tough time finding some criticisms. I agree completely. I found it incredibly hard to criticize this film I think it's because I just went into it looking to have so much fun that I didn't even really concern myself with the plot. And it resulted in me not noticing things that I might normally have been critical of. Yeah, I think for me, I had the same kind of experience where I'm looking at this thing and I'm trying to find criticisms. And the, the quote-unquote problem, which isn't a problem at all, problem at all is that this film does not try to be anything more than it's supposed to be or that it tries to be. It, it reminded me a lot. Um, maybe you'll appreciate this. The Batman show from like 1966, the real campy one. Oh yeah. yes. The one with a zonk and boing and ow, pow. That was a fantastic show. I watched the heck out of that as a kid. Nick at night, baby. Yeah. And, and I watched, um, I did too. And my, my dad of course grew up on it and it has a lot of, value from a nostalgia standpoint from a sense of placement like this this was the campy side of the 1960s but in no circles of criticism or of reviews of that show do i ever see people saying you know what it really it just didn't capture the essence of the true dark night you know it did it strayed from the comics and it did these things that i just really found issues with you don't hear that why because it knew exactly what it was and it embraced it fully. And I, I think both these movies and this one in particular did exactly that. It said, here we have these crazy, ridiculous characters named Bebop and Rocksteady. Do we want them to have a well-defined backstory? No. Why? Because the average person seeing this is 10 years old and doesn't care. They care about the fact that they're saying things like, my man, and you know, punching each other in the face or whatever it is they're doing. And the whole tone of the movie caters to that. And that's what I loved about it. So anything that I'm going to say next is going to be just pure nitpick stuff. 
Fair enough, man. Um, I agree. I'm with you 100%. I will say, I will kick us off here in, in our short area of dislikes by just saying, though, if there is a, if there is one that's a little less nitpicky than others for me, it's that for the second film in a row, I feel like Shredder is completely wasted. And I, I do not understand this decision at all. It's the, the biggest one I have a beef with in the entire series so far. That Shredder is the big bad, the main villain of this entire property of the Turtles. And he he doesn't Shredder's biggest I guess scenes in this film are getting rescued. It's it's mind-boggling how little he does. And I just don't understand why that is. Yeah, I I I am I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you and I you could you could chalk the chalk it up by saying that the movie is a little bit too cluttered with characters and there there might be some argument to be said about that but it's almost as if you didn't need him in it um but at the same time I would also say he he was a we've used this word before he was serviceable I think what he did was he pushed the plot of the other characters along like we we get a little bit more of Baxter Stockman because of the fact that he needed he needed to save Shredder, and we needed Shredder to connect with Krang by being rescued and getting thrown into that what time dimensional portal whatever it was. <laughs> I, yeah, who knows? Donatello knows. Yeah, yeah, and and that 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 is one of my nitpicks as well. I mean, at one point in the movie, Donatello, I guess I don't know what device he uses because he's got so many on his uh, on his person. It's a Nintendo controller. That yeah, that tells you everything. Oh, that yeah, so it must have been that that apparently allowed him the ability to not only s- by by probing whatever was coming through the portal he was able to identify that it was called the technodrome and that it was commanded by a commander Krang like what did he download the guy's like VCF file from his from his iPhone or something from Dimension X I'm assuming it was Dimension X by the way because of what I know from the cartoon but you know <laughs> I'm just like I. I'm 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 reaching here when it comes to the plausibility of things, even for an out of this world, out of this universe type movie like Turtles. Yeah, that was definitely one of the ones that I, you kind of had to just. Again, I only thought about that when I was going back after the movie and starting to try and think of what might have been wrong with it. In the moment, it didn't bother me at all because I was yeah. so engaged. And I think that's that's really the key of what we were saying earlier is that it's – another one for me is it, that was like that is Vernon April taking down Karai. Um, <laughs> I don't even think they ever call her Karai in this film. And I don't think – I don't even know if in either one of the movies – she's been in both of them, but I don't know if they ever explicitly tell us that she's Shredder's daughter, but she is. And, yeah. I mean, it was like a – it was like – Come on, man. Come on. April and Fern are not taking down one of the greatest ninjas ever. Like, she is the daughter of the master in the world of ninjutsu. I don't don't see that happening. I don't see her getting caught off guard and hit in the head with a clipboard or whatever it was and knocked out. It's just completely (laughs) kind of ridiculous. Um, Yeah. I agree. With, I agree with you on that one. Uh, side note: Do you think that she deserves? Not that she'll get by any means, but do you think she'd be an interesting character to have her own solo movie? 
Absolutely not at this point. No, um, I, I don't think so because we've had no no backstory and no reason for her to. I, I just I can't endorse it because I have nothing to go on. I, I don't even know if she's a good actress. Like she does nothing in these films yeah. except stand around. And then, there's something compelling. Yeah, and then there's something compelling done. about there's something compelling about being Shredder's daughter that that intrigues me and i think that's kind of interesting maybe i'll just go back to the comics and read about that or or maybe she's going to be involved in the next one when we have to find a way to rescue shredder because i mean shredder's got to come back indeed and um according to krang he'll be back as well which (laughs) of course he will (laughs) what cheesy villain doesn't say that (laughs) so a couple other uh things that i was you know little nitpicky ones were every human having an animal chromosome was a, a departure from the comics and that's not how mutations worked i think though that upon reflection that specific plot point probably affected me more because of my my views on evolution i don't i mean i'm not a i don't believe in macro evolution so because of that i thought that was kind of a silly plot point <laughs> that we all had this animal chromosome in this um, but as far as the movie goes uh, if I take that viewpoint away from it it doesn't as a story device it's actually it, it works out pretty well I think and so I was able to come around on that one even mm-hmm. yeah and speaking of kind of personal issues I think for me one of the the beefs I had with it uh, and probably my biggest although it wasn't a major major one was uh, just some of the some of the innuendo that was done in the movie I know that Something I don't know if we talked about this last week, but I knew that watching the trailers and seeing Megan Fox being sort of kind of, you know, sexually whatever with the the midriff thing and that kind of stuff. I mean, it's just it's not for me. I mean, I I get that it's nice eye candy or whatever. But again, this is is a quote unquote kids movie and maybe kids won't pick up on that. But surely they'll pick up, you know, on the bebop and rock steady after their transformation looking you know down in their shorts and going my man you know so just stuff like that so let me tell you i gotta disagree with you on this i'm gonna defend megan fox till the day i die apparently um i defend her online and i'm gonna defend her right now i'm gonna defend that choice because we did talk about it last week you're absolutely right and i think i specifically mentioned that i was worried about that scene giving us a hint that we were going to see some real over sexualization of her character I was pleasantly surprised that that was the only scene with her that even hinted at any kind of sexual overtone for her character. And I loved it. My kids, one of their favorite moments of the entire film was that sequence with April O'Neil. Not once did they tell me that that was how they took that scene as, oh my gosh, April's stripping. They thought, they saw it, through their eyes, and again, they're 13 and 11, and they thought it was the coolest thing because she was changing different into different uniforms and changing into different outfits that were relatable so that she could, you know, pull this switcheroo and, and sneak up on this guy and turn him into a cowboy and then get the selfie and then steal the thing, you know, and, and obviously the plot's not great. I'm talking about stealing the thing. Like, I don't even know what she was stealing, but, <laughs> but they loved that scene. It was like something right out of a spy movie. And yeah. So they didn't pick up on it at all. And I thought that was fantastic. 
and yeah. and I reacted the same way. So I completely disagree with you, but I do understand uh, that some some people might be more sensitive to that. Some kids might be more sensitive to that than others. I, I yeah. agree with you a hundred percent that the, the looking down the shorts joke I, had no didn't need to be there. Like just yeah. dumb. And I and I agree with you on on the idea that it, it was it was her scene and what she did definitely made sense. It wasn't just it wasn't just eye candy. You know, the trailer made it seem like eye candy. And so I will say that of those two pieces, that was probably my least uh, critical part. Uh, you know, the, the language is a bit salty. I was talking to a friend of mine who, um, you know, she's a parent with kids and she's, you know, she was hesitant about taking them to see Captain America Civil War. She's got that kind of, uh, she's got that kind of, uh, she's just more sensitive, that kind of stuff. And so looking back on it, I was like, yeah, there were a couple of lines that were, you know, had some handsome language, but it's, I mean, again, it's one of those things that if I'm taking my son to it, I'm explaining to him beforehand, look, there's going to be a few words here that, you know, we don't say in our house, but just know that you're going to hear them and, and that it's, you know, it's just part of the movie. It in no way felt like they were trying to force cuss words in by any means. It just, I mean, they, if I could say they made sense or they fit the, fit the situation. Yeah, I'll say that. But again, I'm going back to my nitpickingness of that, you know, and that was probably the extent of, of what I found wrong with the movie. So let's finish that up and get right into what we like. Cause yeah. I am jet. I'm just ready. I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready too. We've been ready since we first saw it. We both came <laughs> out of it just jazzed and, and sending voice messages to each other and texting each other, just ready to go and talk about it. So now that we've got the little nitpicks out of the way, man, from the opening start of this film, I knew we had it coming when those ninja stars replaced. Yes. Yes. When they flew on the screen and replaced the regular stars of the Paramount logo, I was like, here we go. I was so glad you you saw that, that you caught that. And uh, I think we both read the article on Screen Rant. Uh, Andrew Dice had, had written about the, the Easter eggs. And I felt so, I felt like so smart by saying, look, it's Ninja Stars. Nobody's going to get that because only like clever people like me get it. And then it becomes like, yeah, I mean, everybody gets that. My, because it's so my awesome. kids got it. They pointed at the screen and their mouths, you could see their mouths just jump open and they were they're wide open and they were like, oh, and they would point at it. And I was like, yep, this is going to be fun. And, so fun. and it pretty much was, man. I I guess I don't even know where to start. I, I got to let's start with the opening scene. Okay. So okay. <laughs> how cool was that? I it just, it was, it was, I mean, from the whole thing, from, from being on the rooftops and, you know, jumping around and flipping around and, and the joke about squirrel formation and just yeah. seeing the turtles in action again and, and their yeah. their brotherhood and leading us down into the Madison Square Gardens. It was so much fun, man. And I think from a from a storytelling device, what we got was because, um, you know, we talked about opening scenes. I think we've mentioned it on on Facebook and, and favorite opening scenes. And I don't I wouldn't put this up there with those. But what it does is it tells us this is going to be a story. The, the turtles are going to be the forefront characters. These, these guys are going to be the ones like every scene's going to at least have one of them in them or two of them in them or all four of them in them where like the first movie didn't really have that. And that was one of the criticisms that we need more turtles. And I love the fact that the, the, the creative team behind this movie said, we're going to answer that call first scene. Let's get them going. And the fact that they dropped into the, the to Madison square garden, like the whole thing you, you, you think they're about to go on a mission and you find out, no, they're going to see a basketball they're going game. to watch some basketball. I know. It was so awesome. The <laughs> fact that they brought a pizza with them, yeah. uh, it just, 
it was so great. Such a great introduction. I, I'm a huge NBA fan, so that merger right there was even better for me. I mean, getting to see DeAndre Jordan slip on the floor, like screaming at the ref, like, ref, there's pizza on my Nike. I just, I, I, was, I was laughing out loud right away. And it just totally set the, like you said, it set the tone for yeah. the entire film to come. And yeah. just, I mean, I laughed out loud again later when they introduced Vern. It was, it was awesome. It was one of the, the coolest ways I've ever seen to do a recap of a previous movie. They went on, they had that like Jumbotron thing come on before they introduced Vern. And it was like, you know, last year when the city was being taken over by Shredder and the you know, hero emerged to save the day. So they recapped the story, right? Of the first movie in this awesomely cool way. And then they introduced Vern and he comes out there and he's like, when he says, I, I couldn't do it alone. I had a little help from my friends. And I was like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And then the turtles are like, he's going to give us props. He's going to give us props. And then he's like, thunder and lightning. And he kisses his biceps. <laughs> and, and he's such a dork. And so it's so awesome because, like, yeah. you know from the previous movie and everything that we see with this guy that it's a complete fraud. Like, we know yeah. that. But the people in the in the basketball arena, all they know is what the media has fed them of this guy. So they know his image. They don't know who he is. And we know how much of a complete farce the, the idea of this is. What, what's his nickname? Is it the Falcon? It's is the that Falcon. The Falcon. He sells Falcon Air. You know, it's $200 <laughs> a, ba- a bag. <laughs> Just load. That's so funny. I couldn't figure out what he was doing at first. And when I finally figured it out, I'm going, are you seriously filling up Ziploc bags of your breath? And selling it for two hundred dollars a pop? <laughs> Are you kidding? If me? I could sell, if I could sell bags of my own breath for two hundred bucks, you better bet I'd do it. Oh, it's, dude, yeah, it's, it's he is <laughs> taking advantage. That is absolutely right. Yeah, I uh, of course I'm a big fan of Will Arnett, and him as Vern in this, he just completely just his reprisal was fantastic. He reminded me a lot in some ways. I, I got, of course, I know him as Lego Batman, you know, and he's using sort of that that deep you know, Will Arnett, Batman voice when he's talking about himself. But I love um, throughout the movie when he kept referring to himself as the Falcon, for some reason I kept picturing uh, Birdman. You know, I kept picturing um, – now his his name escapes me. Michael Keaton. Thank you. He also played Batman. He also played Batman. And I'm just thinking, is he he sort of – Six degrees of Will Arnett. That's exactly what it is. But I just I kept, you know, Michael Keaton's face kept popping into my head when I was hearing him talk about himself being the Falcon. And, and I don't know why, but that's just you know, a little you know, throwaway side side thing there. That was awesome. It, yeah, it, it was great. It was just a so much fun and and definitely a highlight of the film, that whole opening sequence. Something else that I think we failed to talk about last week. And, and when I was listening back to our episode, I realized that I didn't touch on this in the first film. There is a huge theme and usage of the color green and i don't know if you picked up on that when you watched it you know i watched the movie again after um i believe i think we talked about it offline about the color green i think that was something that you observed we did i went back and watched it and i'm like yeah that's right i I didn't notice that uh the first time i'd watched it yeah so short short explanation in the first film in 2014 teenage ninja turtles Almost the whole movie, 
there is a theme of green. There's green tinting, green lighting, green clothes. Everything is green. There's green backdrops. It's, it's actually kind of scary once you notice it because then you watch the whole film and you're like, green, green, green. My kids and I were pointing everything out. In this one, it wasn't like that the whole movie. But during the opening sequence where we get to see April for the first time, there's the same thing, only it's done with yellow. So she has yellow earbuds. She has a yellow phone case. There are yellow flowers. Almost every single person we see in the whole first sequence with her is wearing some yellow in their clothing. And there is a yellow backdrop at one point. And it's, it's kind of crazy how they do that. And I, I mean, I don't know if I'm the only one picking up on this stuff. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe I'm making it up in my head. Maybe I'm looking for something that's not there. But no, I just not. think it's a really neat little detail to give us a nod that, you know, April's April's yellow and the turtles are green. And so they're doing something with that. Well, and this is something I'm going to say about the creative team. And, you know, I'll say this about the 2014 creative team, although the director wasn't really my cup of tea. This director, uh, this guy, I think uh, did, did a phenomenal job just picking up the reins and, and taking, taking over. But I think it says a lot about the, the value that the, that the team of people behind all this take in the source material not just in telling stories but in creating the whole ambiance of nostalgia because these guys are unapologetic about the amount of nods to our childhood specifically the nod to the 80s cartoon and the 90s movie and all these different things but the movie itself wasn't just a factory uh, assembly line full of nostalgia i mean there was the plot wasn't i mean it, it was it was fine it was it was good and you know, it was a lot better than the first one, in my opinion. But everything that surrounded it, it's it's almost like when you when you when you you paint a scene or something like that, you put in just these little touches that say, "This is how much I appreciate these guys." And the Easter eggs, I think, are are part of that. You know, seeing seeing Kevin Eastman as the pizza delivery guy that they swiped the pizza from at the beginning, I thought that was great. Um, all these other different things, but just those subtle. Subtle touches, I think, are just more ways for like maybe the maybe the set directors to throw in their own personal like I love the turtles and this is why I'm I'm I love being part of this movie franchise and that was their way of doing it. So so kudos to all you guys out there. I know they're probably not listening to us, but if they are, fantastic. And you guys, uh, props to you for for thinking about the in the 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 audience when when making all this stuff happen. Yeah, and I I love that. I love all the little nods. There was a little nod with uh, Bumblebee during the Halloween yes. parade. Yes, yes. That was pretty cool. Uh, com- com- complete with a Transformer sound. How cool was that? Yeah, I-, I love how he did that. It was a really cool little uh, transformation that, that that man did as well. I was pretty impressed. Speaking of Transformers, our Shredder, that we didn't really care for him that much, was not a Transformer this time. Well done. Well done, team. We are very thankful because he looked great in this one. He looked much more like a ninja boss than a Transformer. I think the one time that he pulled out his his blades or whatever and we didn't see like 15,000 of them felt more, more, ooh, than what? You know, for me, I thought that was just great. Totally did. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. Uh, yeah, more screen time would have been great. I, I agree a hundred percent with you there. Um, I think we talked about the dialogue in our in our last podcast, but obviously, I think if we had to say this, the dialogue was the quality of dialogue was like increased tenfold in terms of like our LOL moments. So, 
tell me some of the LOL moments that you had. Like, which ones were, were your favorites? So, a couple come to mind. Specifically, um, at one point, when Bebop is going through the air, I believe it's after the plane is crashing, and he just screams, This pig is flying! <laughs> and, yes, it's dumb. I'm not trying to tell you that this is Oscar you know, screenplay writing right here, but I you don't have to, you don't have to, don't I apologize. Don't so try to hard because all I thought was, <laughs> yeah, he's a pig and he's, <laughs> he's flying. <laughs> and I just, I cracked up. Uh, <laughs> so much fun. <laughs> um, the whole, the whole scene with, with Raph, uh, just when he's getting ready to jump out of the plane is probably one of the best sets of dialogue. Um, <laughs> And he says, he's like, no regrets, no fear. What would Vin Diesel do? <laughs> what would Vin Diesel do? <laughs> it, yeah, and it's so, you know, like, it's cool because they're they're giving a nod to our culture, you know, yeah. they're, and they're, they're, they're in real New York. They're in, this is, this is the, the present. And so Vin Diesel is a movie star who jumps out of planes and, you know, they're, they're at, they admire him. They're teenagers. They think he's cool because he's an action star. It doesn't matter that they're ninjas. They're, ki- they're teenagers and just like us, they're fans of these great action stars. And, and so him saying that just felt so natural. And then, yeah. and then the, the cool part is after he jumps, he screams something to the effect of, I'm regretting this and afraid or something like he, even though he said no regrets, no fear. Like it's, he's totally, totally regretting it. And he has a lot of fear. That's awesome. What about I you? Love, well, um, Chris, there was a great amount of dialogue that, that I could, that I could dive into. I think when Mikey says about when he looks at Krang and he says he looks like a chewed up piece of gum with the face, I thought that was fantastic. And then later um, they call him bubblicious. Oh, that's right. They do. I think Donatello calls him that or something. And uh, just, I love that. I also, I'm, I'm not. Um, would you consider yourself a grammar nerd? Yes, people okay. would definitely consider me. So, so you can appreciate above this. average grammar nerd. Um, I have. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm not to the extent I think that that you are. At least not that I know of you. But there, are, there are two particular uh, grammatical issues that I will definitely call people out on. One less so than others, but Mikey, uh, he uh, he uses the phrase "this begs the question," and this doesn't get a lot of defense. And I'm so I'm probably in the minority, but he's misusing the phrase. It's, he raises the question, he begs the question, but then he redeems himself later when he's talking about. Uh, I think Krang loses a couple of his arms, and he says, "I can reload at any time," you know, in his best Krang voice. And he and 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 Mikey goes, "Guys." He's literally rearming himself. And I said, that is correct, Mikey. That is correct. You get a gold star for using that word correctly. Good job. Because that is a sin in my book when it comes to uh, misusing the English language. <laughs> so good job there. I thought that was great. You're talking about the use of the word literally, right? Yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So not, not you know, rearming or whatever other words were in Just there. clarifying. <laughs> I'm hoping people would pick up on that. I mean, it's it's obvious in my head, maybe not so much of everybody else's. Um, I thought the uh, I thought the end credits, particularly having a tribute to the original TV show, uh, playing playing the um, the original theme song or the, the the theme song being resung from the from the TV show. I thought that was great. 
Um, and uh, gosh, I'm trying to think of some other great. Do you remember some other great lines of dialogue or anything else that you remember? Well, there's there is one good good moment where Wrath, you know, is, lands on the rainforest floor or ground, and uh, he looks up and he's staring face to face with a turtle, and he just <laughs> says, well, "This is awkward." <laughs> and and the kids and I just were cracking up. The kids actually said, "That's awkward." Before Raph said it, and then they got all excited because they like you know had written the dialogue themselves basically. And so I mean, <laughs> the movie knows how to it knows how to talk in a language that fits the characters, and it does so really, really, really well. Yeah, I thought one of the um, one of the things I loved was seeing the the revamped turtle van come onto the scene during the um I guess the extraction moment trying to trying to get trying to get Shredder out of the out of the van and and just seeing all the little details within the van that the turtles call out specifically because they're so impressed with what Donatello's done and and just little things like him saying push the button push the button and Leo's like which button because there's like 45 of them and he goes and he goes this one he finally pushes it and out pop the uh was it the sewer uh manhole sewer- covers the manhole covers, yeah, the manhole covers. I just, I, you know, to me, I'm thinking, I remember that from the TV show. I remember, you know, all these different things. I laughed so hard when, when Mikey grabbed hold of the, I guess, the arms that became, uh, like nunchucks, <laughs> and he starts like throwing people off and like boom, 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 and he's hitting all the, all the vehicles and stuff like that, and all the foot soldiers, and then he, I think he raises his arms within the the van. And the the nunchuck arms outside raise up. He's like, I'm awesome. I'm awesome. And then, boom, they get hit by the uh, they go under a bridge and the the nunchuck arms just kind of fly off. And he goes, oh, man, or something like that. (laughs) Just so many great little like bits of physical comedy that 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 weren't overdone by any means. I thought they were they were perfect. Can't disagree with you at all. I think the comedy is is absolutely beyond a doubt the high point of the film and the standout um i guess laughter would be a standout kind of thing that we took away from this but that being said there are some other themes in this film that are deeper and 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 more impactful than just getting you know lol moments out of us i thought for the longest time until i got home and looked it up i thought that leonardo was a different voice come to find out he's the same guy but for me I felt that Leonardo talked in a completely different tone than he did in the first movie. He felt, it felt like listening to him was listening to a leader this time. He seemed to have an authority in his voice and it really kind of, it was, it was capture. It was captivating for me um, compared to, he just was another turtle in the first one voice wise. So I don't know if they did something different on purpose or not, but it was something that, I took away from it and I, the design of the turtles as well just has really grown on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. really like the different body types now. Like you said earlier, uh, I think that I'm, I'm no longer trying to compare them. I'm liking them for who they are and they're becoming more and more awesome because of it. That's great. That's great. Um, you mentioned Leah. I want to kind of address those couple of things, which um, I was reading an article about uh, with the director. He was being interviewed and he talked about the fact that you, you picked up on something uh, spot on. Leo's character was voiced by a different actor than the person who did the motion capture. I think 
I don't know if it was Johnny Knoxville, I think, voiced Leo in the first one. And um, I don't remember who exactly, but no, it, it's the same. It's the same voice. Uh, it might have been a different uh, motion capture, but it was the same voice. Okay. Well, in any case, in the in the this one, the motion capture actor and the voice actor were one and the same. And the director was being asked about that. He said, why did you do that? And he said, well, we were really impressed with seeing what this guy did on, on screen with his actual acting and then with his voice work. And we thought this created a more solidified, it, it really captured the, I mean, it really, in, in reality, it captured the theme of the movie, this idea of brotherhood and teamwork. And what better way to really synthesize that than to actually have all four turtles being voiced and being acted by their by the same people so that when they're on screen their chemistry is genuine and that's what he kind of talked about in the interview that's brilliant and i think that is exactly what i picked up on that would that would explain it that would explain exactly why i felt like there was more just realness in their performances that's that's great and i think that is a an a plus decision making uh, for the from the director I do too. I think the other thing that you, you mentioned about the about the design of the of the outfits and, and the body types and whatnot, they actually I think they listened to some of the fans and they scaled back some of the stuff on the turtles. They didn't have as much flair, I guess you could say. So Donatello is probably the most tricked out of the turtles, I guess we could say, because his his face is covered with like not only tortoise shell glasses, I think still think that's great, and also his his goggles or whatever um but i think they've scaled back a lot of his other gadgetries even though there's still a lot but what i think what what i picked up on even though i was already a fan to begin with what i thought was great was that a lot of what these guys had on them became functional in the second one so donatello used a lot of the gadgets that he had on his person in this movie which we didn't get to see a lot of that in the first go around with the 2014 one and the other guys, you know, of course, I love the fact that they're using their shells to slide and to to move around quite a bit. And again, the functionality of their of the costumes of of the design really uh, for for a guy like me who is a designer, the form and function really there's a nice marriage there. And I thought it was fantastic. Completely agree. What about the turtles? What about the whole theme? So, for me, the first movie was about family. Well, I don't know if that's for me. It's it's clear that the first movie was about family. Um, it was about pizza for me. No, I'm kidding. Oh boy, <laughs> it was about yeah. a family pizza. Uh, let's let's family, say that family sized pizza. It was <laughs> so the turtles, you know, were becoming a, a cohesive family, including April and and Splinter, and having to save him. The theme of this one was clearly not family. It was becoming a team, and. There's some really deep moments in this one, to be honest, that I was not expecting and that are what, in large part, elevated this film above previous Turtle films for me. Um, do you Did you feel the same way about that? I did, and I picked up on the theme of the teamwork. One of the small criticisms I had I didn't mention earlier was just sort of the heavy-handedness of that. It was very – it wasn't preached, but it was said a lot, and that's fine. I was okay with that, but – the the two other themes that I actually picked up on uh, had to do with the fact that the things that make us who we are are both our greatest strength and our greatest weakness. And it was played out. I'm I'm, I'm going to cheat a little bit 
kind of give you a spoiler alert that this ties into one of my one of my favorite scenes. So that theme of the things in us are are can be our best and our worst parts of us uh, ties into the other thing that I kind of picked up on was that who we are isn't a mistake and that we should embrace that of who we are and live in that and completely just own it. Uh, I really, really picked up on that and, and just attached myself to that one that these guys, you know, they were, there's a sense of shame that they have because they can't come out of the shadows. And even the title of the film hints at that, that you don't have to change who you are to be accepted, that who you are may not be accepted by everybody, but it doesn't change the fact that you have purpose and that your purpose is a good thing and that you don't have to apologize for that. And again, I think that plays into this, the whole idea around this movie as a whole, that it doesn't have to apologize for being what it is because it's being the best at what it's trying to be. That's a great tie in. I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. You're absolutely right. The movie has what some might perceive as a weakness, but because it embraces that and it embraces it when the time is right and when it's necessary, it, it becomes a strength and, and it turns into something that's incredibly enjoyable um, when you know used in context or taken in context. I thought it was awesome because they there's a scene at the end of the film with Krang um, on the tre- Technodrome where the turtles you know have had this this battle. This, this, I wouldn't say battle, but this struggle between each other and this conversation about their strengths and their weaknesses and why they're not working as a team. At one point, Leo just wants to quit and walk out on it because he can't seem to, to get it right uh, to be their leader. And we, we get this moment where Krang says to Sh- Shredder says something to Krang about being a team. He's like, yes, we're a team. You know, we succeeded and Krang's like, what are you talking about? We, we're not a team. And then he says, we're not, we're not a team. Teams, teams and family are weak. And he specifically kind of, he, he makes a negative comment and he states the opposite of what the turtles believe and what gives the turtles their strength, which is their fact that they're family and the fact that they are a team. And then they promptly use that teamwork and come together to defeat him. And I just thought that was a great little way to wrap that up because they showed us Krang intentionally not embracing that idea. Whereas if Krang would have embraced it, if Krang would have said, you know what, Shredder, we're doing this 50, 50, we're taking over the world. Let's do this together and not been distracted. It's very possible that they might've been able to win or may have been able to do a lot more together than they were able to do separately. Yeah. And I, I think that, seeing those two juxtaposed against each other really made that point very, very well uh, and, and very, um, very obvious. And this idea that community and the we is greater than the me really, I think it resonates not only with, with kids who, um, who, who like that idea of being a team, but as adults as well. And I think that's why those, those themes really resonated with me because as a, as a husband, as a father, as, as a friend, I want that. I know that I need people and people need me. And if I live on an island, then I'm no good to anybody. But if I'm in a community of folks, that my strengths are those things that help build people up and elevate the people around me, and my weaknesses are then lifted up by other people's strengths. Uh, and that's probably why I attached so, uh, 
so specifically to those themes was that I connect with that. I get that completely. And I, and I love the fact that that was a, a big part of this, of this movie. That's awesome. Um, because that's not even the only theme that I took out of the movie. Uh, it was one of them. And the other one was this idea of sadness and not being accepted for who you were. And, you know, I mentioned before that I got teary a couple times and a lot of that was due to, I thought some really well done dialogue and some really well done little scenes. Um, one of which is, you know, when Mikey, the, the turtles have been in the police station and the police are genuinely scared of them. They call them monsters Mm -hmm. and the turtles are back down in the sewer. And there's this moment that Mikey has where he's just like, he's beside himself and he just says, he's tell I think he's talking to Splinter, and he says, they had so much hate for us. And I was like, wow, that doesn't sound like dialogue that should be in this movie. Like, that's heavy stuff. But it, it fit, and it made sense, because he was feeling this immense hatred from these humans who had no reason to hate them. But it was like this idea that, you know, you're not like us. You're different. And this is a big deal in culture these days. I mean, it goes just ties into racism and, and all kinds of other issues that we experience in real life. The turtles are not like the people, the humans, and so therefore they must be some kind of monster. They must be different. They must be bad. And that really hurt Mikey um, internally. And then we also see Raph significantly struggling with this. He wants to become – he wants to use that ooze to be a human. Because, not because he wants to be a human, but because he wants to be accepted. Because he doesn't want to be different. He wants to be able to experience the same things that everybody else experiences. And again, I tie this to to the racism conversation. Because it's, they're different species, different races. You know, he wants to be able to use the same bathroom that the humans use. But he can't. Because he's a turtle. And he would freak everybody out. And they, they'd want him to go use his own bathroom in the sewers or whatever. But it's just, it's this very powerful theme in the whole movie that I thought was expressed in a way uh, that both adults like me could get on a heavy level and my kids could get as well. Cause we had a, we had a big conversation about it after the fact. And I thought that was great. That's good, man. And I love the fact that at the very beginning they set that, they set that up early because I think it's Raph that says they're sitting there watching the game from, from above. Um, and they, and they see the, basically the exposition from the first movie on the jumbotron. And I think it's Raph that says, you know, we should be the ones, uh, you know, featured in the jumbotron, not hiding on the jumbotron, you know, or something like that. And, and that really sort of foreshadowed what the, what the big, at least internal conflict was going to be with the four of them. I didn't, I did not, I was sort of, I was sort of, um, you know, sideswiped. I didn't know that it was going to go there as intensely as it did and um i came out of it being very 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 well the trend yeah so um well let's let's move in to talking about our three favorite scenes um i can i can dive in real quick unless you want to um i can go first this week okay go for it man i got no problem with that oh before you uh before you before you dive in i did a quick IMDb checklist, and I, I'm going to toot my own horn, I was correct. Johnny Knoxville voiced the character of Leonardo, and Pete Plusek, who actually did the motion capture, voiced him in the second one. Okay, so 
I was think I must have looked it up and seen that it was the same motion capture artist. You know what? Gotcha. Now I feel much better now because that means his voice was different, and I'm not crazy. So I did hear a different Leonardo voice. You're crazy, but not for that particular reason. Woot! So we can toot our own horn. We I can toot mine too, even though I was wrong. I'm I'm still also right. I like it when that happens. Yeah. And you know what? I'm looking at I'm looking at our list here, and even though we haven't talked about this ahead of time, um, I see here that my number three looks like it's your number one. So oh, we're man. we're gonna skip that and go to your number three. My number three. Okay. Um. Well, as you guys know from our from our last episode, I'm a huge fan of of Will Arnett, and particularly how he portrayed Vern in this. And I love the scene with him breaking into TCRI. The music was really quirky, really kind of fun. It's just really tonally like, this guy's a goof. He thinks he's all that in a bag of chips, and he's really not. But other people kind of think he is. And in particular, he walks up to the guard, and the guard's like, you're not supposed to be here. And he's like, do you know who I am? I'm, yes, the Raven. And you cannot call me that. You he's know? the it's Falcon. Like, not oh, the, the Falcon. Raven. <laughs> not Raven. It's some bird. I can't remember. <laughs> he's Birdman. No, he's not. <laughs> Can I just call him Batman? Would that be better? Yeah. No. No. <laughs> In any case, so he he's busting into TCRI and he's trying to get the uh, the 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 unedited footage of the uh, the I guess what has framed April, who was breaking in to get the the canister of ooze or whatever, and just seeing him from the moment trying he finds the camera behind a clock it's it's um, and he says okay I'm going to go grab this and seeing him struggle to get up to reach the clock because he's on one of those rolling desk chairs that if anybody knows this, if you're in an office and you're trying to reach something on like an office chair, you know how awkward that is with the rollers at the bottom, the casters, uh, because I've been that way. I've been so uneasy. Like I was like, that's me. That's me trying to reach a light bulb, uh, with, with that. But just the whole sequence of him grabbing, grabbing the, the 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 camera and pulling on the cord and seeing it go all the way around the lab as he's pulling it out of the out of the wall only to come right back to the very beginning to the box right below it where he could have just unplugged it right there just so much fun just a really great long sight gag for me i thought it was fantastic and no dialogue needed so much fun yeah that was pretty funny that was a shake my head plus laugh out loud moment uh for both me and my kids we both picked up on that one and we're just like come on man what are you doing that's that was such a burn moment. Um, my number two, I guess we're moving to, uh, is is two things. Uh, two for two. I'm gonna do cheat and do two things. Um, but these scenes kind of tie in each other. It starts when Raph smashes the ooze. When Raph is given the decision, uh, Leonardo hands him the canister and says, "All right, you're gonna make the call. Tell us, tell us what we're gonna do." Are we going to go up there and be humans and try to defeat him that way? Or are we going to do this as turtles? And I, I thought that they were going to go a different direction. I expected this film, based on previous Michael Bay-produced movies, um, to turn them into humans, send them up there to beat Krang in some weird half-turtle, half-human uh, type of body, and it to be really dumb. And instead, I got the emotional impact of Raph saying, you know what, no, and throwing that thing against the wall. And it just, it was really powerful for me. And it, and the, the, the other part of this favorite scene that, that that ties into is at the end. Because at the end, because they made that choice, 
They were able to have this dialogue with the police officers. They were able to work together with the humans to, to defeat Krang. And they have this key ceremony where they're getting awarded the keys to the city. And it's, it's such a big deal. They're so happy about it. And uh, they finally get to be accepted for who they are. And they get to be recognized for all of their deeds, the things they've done, you know, present and in the past. And so it just feels like Raph's big choice totally paid off in that moment and it hit me right in the feels man and that's when i kind of that's when it happened like that's when the actual tears kind of went down the cheek and i was like subtly trying to hide it so that my kids wouldn't see it because i didn't want to be that dad but um i I couldn't help it i just it, it meant so much to me that that he was willing to sacrifice what he thought was best for the group the for the for the brotherhood and for the team um, and it was a huge moment in his character development, which really gets me. Uh, I just, I just loved the tie in there and, and that final scene of acceptance for the turtles. Dude, I wish I had like a track from Saved by the Bell that went, Oh, it was, yeah, I know I'm a softy. I don't know what to tell you, but I, I will tell you this. I completely connect with you when, um, I didn't see Raph's response coming, throwing the ooze up against the wall. I didn't really know what to expect, but I remember clearly going, in that moment going, what's he going to do? Because at that point, we really didn't know. This was, and, and I love this because the result felt it could have been argued as being contrived like or melodramatic. But the movie up to that point didn't say either way. Like It left it so ambiguous that you didn't know. And I, I love that. I love that ambiguity leading up to that moment because it made that moment pay off so much more. All right, so here is my number two. And it's kind of a cheat. Um, it's actually two scenes in one. Um, it, well, it's two scenes, but they're my favorites combined because what they do is they play into that, to one of the themes that we talked about. And it's the moment they have just battled Bebop and Rocksteady um, in, um, in the jungle. They're on a cargo plane, and they're arguing. And they start calling each other out for being um, who they are. And I think it's uh, – they, they just basically start talking about how different they are. Like Leo is such a leader, but he doesn't have this like Raph does. And Raph is like – he's so, he's so um, like action-oriented. He's so always want to fight that he doesn't have this thing. And what – what's essentially happening is each turtle is basically saying you're weak because you do this and you, you're not like me. And then, so you have those, you have that attitude. And then what you have later on is the scene right before they go fight Krang and they're talking to the, the, the police task force. And it was a little campy, but coupled with this other scene, it really paid itself off. They bring themselves together. They put their, their turtle hands in, I guess you could call them. And they say, you know, in order to do this, we need each other. We need leadership and we need, um, and we need science and we need this. And I think the last one was, and we need heart. And basically each, each turtle was saying what your weakness is, is now your, is your strength. That the things that make us different are the things that also make us stronger. And to me, again, connecting with that particular theme of our greatest strengths can also be our greatest weaknesses, um, it really elevated 
those two particular scenes for me. If I didn't see the second one, I probably wouldn't have pulled this one in because then it would just be an argument. And I love how they reconciled that because to me, it's, that's realistic to me. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's another one of the emo moments for me that was really powerful just because it gave us that connection on a personal level to them. It was, it wasn't just funny. It was, wow, they, they have feelings (laughs) and uh, (laughs) and that's pretty, pretty cool. My number one was a hilarious moment. Um, This, this is the one that the most people in the theater laughed out loud for the longest um, time because there were several moments that that happened but this one was a raucous laughter when Casey is down in the sewer being introduced uh, to the turtles home they huddle around him and they kind of start pointing over a splinter and they're like there's this this rat over there or Casey points him out he's like there's a there's a there's a rat there's a huge walking rat over there and they're like yeah that guy's that guy's here all the time I don't he shows up I don't know what's going on with that and they're like, you should go take him down. And so they, <laughs> they start co- coaxing Casey to go to go attack Splinter. And so, of course, he takes the bait because he wants to impress April and impress them. And, and he's a man. And so he, he rushes in there, you know, with his, I think he's got his hockey stick. And he goes to take out Splinter. And Splinter quickly whips his tail and dispatches of him and puts him on the ground. And we get this shot of Splinter leaning over him with this, like, kung fu pose. And he just says giant rat one new guy zero <laughs> any 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 he, he grabs his beard and rubs his beard in that like that old school uh, martial artists movie way and it just the turtles start cracking up and mike they're all laughing about it and they they start talking amongst themselves they're like i can't believe that he fell i didn't think he was gonna fall for it and i think it's mikey says we gotta have new people here more often and it's just <laughs> such a great moment because they don't get new people down there. This is their home. And it's like, imagine you having someone over to your home for the first time ever. And I know it's like the second cause of April, but you know, it doesn't happen for them and they're kids and they want to show off their area and they want to poke, poke fun and make jokes and, you know, be teenagers and mess with each other. And it's, it's just a prank and it's so lighthearted and so much fun that we all laughed so hard at that. And, couldn't stop thinking about it after the movie. I, 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 I'm, I'm with you on that. The audience that I was with did the exact same thing. And it's funny you mentioned that scene because um, my number one and your number three happened to be the scene just before that. Right before, yep. And it's so good because, again, I'm a huge fan of dialogue. Um, I, I love the way, the subtle, subtle way that dialogue is, is done in movies and in TV shows and whatever. And when you couple it with other elements like music, it's fantastic. So I love the intro introduction of Casey Jones. I, I love Stephen. Amell. I thought he was great in this to see him outside of the world of arrow in a more lighthearted, happy, um, whatever type thing was just, it was just a breath of fresh air. And I think he completely owned it. You could tell that he was really enjoying his character. So he fights off the bad guys. He's taken down the foot. He's, I love <laughs> He's taking the hockey pucks and just smashing the heads with whatever. And then the turtles come out of nowhere. Um, and and then or, or no, he's with April. And then all of a sudden the turtles come out and he's like ready to take him down. And she's like, they're with me. He's like, what? They're with you. 
But the moment that I laughed the hardest was when Mikey uh, begins to introduce each character. And he does this with the dating game theme music playing in the background. And he goes like, this is Leonardo. He's our fearless leader. Raphael's like a cuddly teddy bear. If by big and cuddly, teddy bears were extremely violent or something like that. And then he goes, Donatello, he's a technical genius. And then he goes, and I'm Michelangelo. I'm a triple threat. Brains, brawn, and a dazzling personality. And then Raph goes, are you done? Are you, are you done with that now? And just that whole sequence had me rolling. And I may have been, I think I was probably maybe one of three or four people in there. And they were all adults laughing. Like kids are just like, what? This is, that's what, what's he doing? But I think the subtlety of the dating game theme music and, and just also getting a sense of this is really who these guys are. I mean, it's like if you were to describe them in a blunt way, this is who they are. And uh, it just, it just made me, and then seeing, seeing Casey's reaction of like, okay. Uh, and then you follow that up with your scene. It was just, it was priceless. Priceless. Couldn't agree more, man. It, 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 that was the second most laughter my theater got as well was that. And everybody, kids, adults, it just, everybody was cracking up when that happened. And like you said, just a great way to kind of introduce the turtle, turtles personalities in these hilarious, but blunt and extremely accurate <laughs> ways, <laughs> way For sure. and, and, For sure. and to tie it into that whole like joke of, are they dating and who are they? Who is this guy? Yeah. I, I have one quick honorable mention. Just, I'm just going to say this. Anytime that a turtle calls splinter dad, I go, oh, yeah. cause usually they say sensei, but every once in a while they're like, see you later, dad. And it's just like, oh, <laughs> it's so sweet. Yeah. I think there was a moment quickly when, when uh splinter is basically endorsing them to go after the foot. And Leo's like, Thanks, Dad. And then they just take off. It's so good. Yeah, it is. It's great. Yeah. All right. So what we want to do here uh, is quickly give you our last thoughts on the movie, and we'll wrap this thing up. So our sleep on it response. Um, we told you what our initial reaction were, was to the film, uh, what, what we thought about it when we walked out of the theater. Um, but we, we like to kind of come back and tell you, how we think about it now, two days later, three days later after sleeping on it, because most often when you see a film, that initial uh, rush of whether it's positivity or negativity um, will come down some and it won't be as strong and you kind of see things in a little bit more clear way. So Patrick, what was your sleep on it response to this movie? Got to see this again, man. Got to see it again. It will probably have to be um, when it comes to uh, digital or DVD, but I'm definitely gonna gonna see this one again. I want to see the uh, I want to see the the Easter eggs that I missed. I want to pick up on those so I can pause and see that kind of stuff. But the ending to this left it open for another sequel, and it made me really excited about seeing if there's going to be a third installment. I really, really hope so. I think this is gonna. Uh, move forward in a great way to see the return of Krang and see what they're going to do with Shredder, hopefully a lot more than he did in this one. But I'm really, I, I just, I, my opinion has not changed. It was great. Awesome. Well, mine, if you remember, I said that I thought walking out of it that it was the best Turtles film I'd ever seen. I'm going to downgrade that to a tie with the original TMNT 1 from 1990. I think it's a little too hard for me to choose between the two because of the different eras and because of the different different types of films that they are. But this one is up there with it. There, it is still, even after sleeping on it, right there. 
I, I will say that I didn't come out of it quite as high uh, after sleeping on it. I, I, I don't have quite the same uh, level of um, passion for it, I guess. But at the end of the day, I still had an amazing time with the kids. It's a movie that, like you, I'm ready to go see again. I want to see it again. I want to laugh at it again. I want to catch the Easter eggs. Um, the first movie did not make me feel like that. Um, I liked it. I would watch it again, but I didn't want to seek out my, you know, I didn't want to spend my limited movie watching time watching the first one again. This one, I want to do that. So it's safe to say that the 2014 is not going to be one of your Steelbox uh, collection. collection. N- no, that one's definitely not going in the old uh, new Aaron uh, Steelbook collection for sure. Steelbook, yeah, Steelbook. Yeah. Still, sorry. But, but yeah, man, I'm with you 100%. Bring on more Turtles. Um, let's go rescue Shredder because we need him to come back and be an actual villain. Let's make Boster, Baxter Stockman into the fly. Um, let's let's bring the rest of the Krang to Earth because he did say he's coming back with his army. I, I want to see his army. What were the uh, uh, real quick what, from the TV show? I think there were the those guys that drove that uh, that space convertible with neutrinos. Is that what they were? I can't remember exactly. I don't remember who they were. Yeah, I want to see more of those, even though I can't remember. I'll have to look it up. But uh, if you and if you guys remember, you know, sound off and, and let us know. But I, I definitely want to see those guys too. Absolutely, man. So what uh, what else? You got anything you want to say, or you want to tell people where they can let let you know what they thought of your impressions of this film? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, I just wanted to pitch a a a movie, a documentary that I found. As a result of watching this, I wanted to go seek out some more stuff on on the turtles. And there's a documentary that's available on Amazon. It's um, called Turtle Power, the definitive history of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's about an hour and a half. I have not checked it out yet, but the reviews of it say it's phenomenal. It takes takes us from the early days of Mirage Comics and to the, the point of the, the early cartoon show and the 90s movies and stuff like that. So for anybody like me who's big on revisiting their childhood in terms of turtle stuff, it seems like something worth checking out. I'm definitely going to do that this week. Uh, if you want to contact me, if you want to start uh, uh, start conversation with me, I am at Shoeless Patch on Twitter as well as on Facebook. Those are my two primary places of social networking hangouts. So how about you, Aaron? Like you, I'm on Twitter and Facebook. Um, also, PS4, like I mentioned earlier, if you want to play some Battleborn. Uh, it's Aaron L. White, everywhere all over the web, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Uh, you can reach us at the show's Twitter and Facebook page, uh, Feel and Film. And we also have the website, feelandfilm.com. Uh, the, the Facebook group is starting to take off some. We're getting a lot more traction in there. People are making some posts and having some conversations. We'd love you to come join the Feel and Film Facebook group and uh, get in there and let us know what you think about this film and about whatever you're watching and you know seeing on a regular weekly basis. You can post anything you want. You want to talk about a TV show and see if anybody else in the group is watching it and have a conversation. That's what we want that place uh, to exist for. Uh, lastly, I want to say about the show, rate and review is a big deal for us. Anytime you write words on iTunes, it bumps us up in the search engines so more people can find us and more people can join in the conversation uh, and in this message of trying to watch film from a different perspective uh, and keeping a positive tone and looking for the best. So if you have a few minutes and you want to jump on iTunes and do that, we would be very grateful. And lastly, 
Next week is episode number 10, Patrick. The Big Ten? The Big Ten. So for us, we're calling that our first milestone episode. Um, You know, when you start a podcast, you never know how it's going to go. You don't know if you're even going to get to number two, much less number 10. So number 25, 50, 100, those are a long way away. But number 10 is next week. And so to celebrate that, we think we're going to do something new, and we're going to try something we like to call feeling the classics. <laughs> Patrick yes, came up sir. with that. But, yeah, it's, uh, we, we're going to revisit a movie that we think most of you have seen and that most of you love and that will evoke a very strong emotional response. So look for that. I'll be dropping hints on the Twitter all week long uh, to see if you can figure out what movie that's going to be. And it we, will not be it will not be Turtles in Time. I know there are some of you <laughs> out there that want that that it's a classic for you, but it's not going to be that one. No, I'm, I'm sorry to say, a little more classic than that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, we will uh, be dropping dropping little tidbits to try and entice you to come join us next week for a really fun conversation that we think you're going to uh, have a lot of fun with. Fantastic. Well. It's been it's been real good, buddy. I've enjoyed this conversation and um, not just romping down memory lane, but being in the present and enjoying what the, uh, the newest installment of the Turtles has, uh, has offered us. Me too. This two weeks of Turtle Madness has been a real joy and a great nostalgic rush and uh, way to bring it all back into the forefront. So until next week, man, stay positive. Keep feeling film.